You can turn then if, uh, in your Bibles to Genesis 33. Genesis 33, it's also in the sermon outline in the bulletin. Uh, it does fit onto the sermon insert this time. So, Genesis 33, uh, we'll be looking at the whole chapter. As we come to it, uh, consider, have you ever had a conflict with your siblings or, or with relatives? Has that ever happened? Um, have you ever had conflict with coworkers or neighbors, uh, those who are close to you? Um, my guess is probably most of you have. Hopefully not as bad as Jacob. Hopefully they weren't trying to kill you. But uh, we come here to a conflict that had been uh, unresolved, that had caused Jacob to get out of there, to flee, and to go to a foreign country and to go through all his trials and pat in a ram. And now he is returning 20 years later. Think about 20 years ago. That's a, that's a while ago, right? Some of you can't think of 20 years ago because you're not 20 years old. But uh, 20 years ago was, was a long time. And now he's meeting Esau, his twin brother, uh, one who is so close and yet so far from him. The last he heard, he was going to try to kill him. And now he is approaching with 400 men. We saw last chapter Jacob praying to God, making arrangements. Uh, he had been the one to reach out to Esau in the first place. Uh, but now Esau is coming, and we'll see in this chapter what happens when they meet. So let me go ahead and begin in verse 1, Genesis 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us go on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servants, and I will lead on slowly, at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord and seer. So Esau said, 
Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we thank you for entrusting us with the sacred oracles, the word of you, our God. We pray that you would bless this for our, our conviction and our growth and our building up in holiness and comfort. We pray that you would guide the preaching and the hearing of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So, first up, what I want to do is to go through this text piece by piece, give an outline of uh, the whole account, and then to narrow in on, on two points, that God gives peace to his people and his people seek peace. So, we find this reconciliation, this reunion of these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. In the first three verses, we find that Jacob prepares to meet Esau. He sees Esau coming now, perhaps from a distance, and he arranges his family, and he himself is the one who had sought Esau out. Esau is coming because Jacob had sent a message to him, as we had seen in the last chapter. He had sought reconciliation. He sought to find favor uh, with Esau and to see his face and to find favor in his face. And now, as Esau's coming, Jacob puts himself in front. Uh, he goes in front of his wives and children. And after the gifts had already been sent on ahead the day before, as it's morning, morning is broken, he's still probably limping from the wrestling the, that night, that morning. Uh, but he goes out in front, and he comes to Esau humbly. He is bowing seven times. Perhaps he was, would bow and then move a little bit further and then bow again and then move a little further as he approaches Esau with great humility. Then verse 4, we have somewhat of a climax where they meet and Esau's running towards him. And you wonder, is he running? Is he going to, is he hurt him? Going to hurt him? Is he running because he's glad to see him? Yes, he's running because he's glad to see him. He's running um, to his brother Jacob. He ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. He didn't fall upon them in violence. He fell upon his neck and, and kissed him. As when Jacob had met Rachel and Laban, uh, that uh, reunion of sorts, because he had never met them before, but that uh, meeting of lost kinsmen, here he comes to his brother and they both weep. Uh, they are overcome with emotion and affection as they embrace each other. It's a kind of wrestling. It's almost related to the word for, it's kind of related to the word for wrestling, but it's a good wrestling. It's a, it's a, a hug. They uh, embrace one another with brotherly love. 
Now, verses 5 through 7, we find that Jacob introduces his wives and children. Esau's like, well, who are these? I I heard you had lots of flocks and and herds and servants, but who are these people? Well, these are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. So he introduces the, uh, the two concubines and their children, and then Leah and her children, and Rachel and her son, Joseph. Then in verses 8 through 11, Jacob ensures that Esau accepts the gift that he had sent. Esau brings attention to, what, what's this that I had already met the, the, the day before? This company that had come my way. Remember, Jacob had sent on a large gift of hundreds of animals to uh, appease uh, Esau, to, to find favor in his sight of sheep and goats and camels and donkeys and, and bro- broken them up into multiple herds with the same message. And uh, Jacob repeats again, this is to find favor in your sight. Now, both Esau and Jacob, interesting, both of them say, I have enough. They both have enough. Esau says, I have enough. I don't need this. Jacob says, well, I have enough. I, I'm giving it to you. If I have found favor in your sight, please accept this gift. Uh, he wants to be sure of Esau's favor and gives this gift to Esau. And so Esau takes it at the urging of Jacob. Jacob is glad to see Esau's favor. He says to see his face is like seeing the face of God. Of course, we had talked about seeing the face of God the previous night, right? Uh, Pennywell is named the, the face of God. He, he had uh, seen, as it were, the face of God. Well, here, Esau's favor is a gift of God. God had answered his prayers, and now he was delighted to see the favor of Esau. Now, verses 12 through 16, Jacob parts ways with Esau. Jake, uh, Esau invites Jacob to come with him to Seir, and Jacob politely rejects that offer uh, to escort him to Seir, even to leave men behind to escort him to Seir, uh, and uh, explains why. It doesn't seem like the whole reason or all the reasons he doesn't want to are, are explained there. Uh, but he declines that because where is Jacob heading? Jacob is still on mission. He has been called by God to go to a certain place, not to Seir, not to the land of Edom, but to the land of Canaan, to the land of promise. The land of Edom or the land of Seir was to the southeast of the Dead Sea, and that was outside of the promised land. And so instead of going with Esau to his homeland, uh, he says, I'm going to stay behind with the pace of my animals. We'll, we'll take our own time uh, until I get there, leaving that pretty indefinite, and then instead heads on to Succoth, which means booth, booths. Uh, in verse 17, we find Jacob dwells in Succoth, which is named after that occasion. So it wasn't called Succoth yet, probably, but uh, means booths because they dwelt in booths. He built a house, probably stayed there for some time. After all, they had driven very quickly running from Laban. I I don't think there's doubt in my mind that they were quite worn out and that they really couldn't go as fast as Esau's horsemen to Edom, that they needed some rest, and they have some rest there in Succoth. And then they cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, and Jacob dwells in Shechem, verses 18 through 20. He arrives safely, uh, in peace, literally, as he had asked God to bring him back in peace. So he arrives in peace to Canaan. 
to the city of Shechem. He camps in front of it, and he makes a purchase of land, the second purchase of land in the land of Canaan. The first was the burial ground for the cave of Machpelah that Abraham had purchased from the Hittites. Well, now Jacob makes a purchase of land, uh, the land which his tent was pitched upon, so he might uh, dwell there. And he bought it for 100 pieces of money, got a, a clear right to it, and later that will be the burial place of Joseph. When many years later the children of Israel bring Joseph back to the promised land, they bury him there because Jacob will have given that particular piece of land as a special inheritance to Joseph and his children. And so that will be later, much later, the burial place of Joseph, who's right there with him, of course, in our story. Joseph is a, is a boy. And so they dwell in Shechem. And that's where this chapter ends. Oh, it doesn't end there. There's one more thing. Jacob builds an altar. He built an altar for worship. Of course, he worshiped God whenever he prayed. But he would build an altar for public worship, for the visible worship of God, for his, his household to call upon the name of the Lord. And he names the altar a name that means God, the God of Israel. Of course, saying Israel seems very normal for us, but for Jacob, he's reaffirming the name he had just been given, uh, that he had been given a new name in the previous chapter, Israel, not just Jacob. And now he's reaffirming that name, he who strives with God and and prevails, and claiming the God uh, as the God of Jacob. He had sworn with his vow to, to hold fast to God as his God. If you bring me back to this land, that the Lord will be my God. He, now delivered from these trials, did not depart from him, but continued to call upon him, to claim him, to pay his vows in this way. A partial fulfillment, we'll find that he'll still need to later get to Bethel, but that goes beyond this chapter. And so, there we have it, chapter 33. And the main points I want to narrow in on are that God's people seek peace. God's people seeks peace, and God gives peace to his people. First of all, God, God's people seek peace. God's people, like Jacob, should seek to be at peace with all men. All the more with family relations, even if they're unbelievers, like Esau. Uh, this was the great, uh, a great desire of Jacob uh, to be reconciled with his brother. You can think of many passages of Scripture, one that we already sung from Psalm 34, turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. Uh, Hebrews picks up on this in chapter 12, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for it, strive for peace with everyone. Romans 12:18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Or we can think of the Beatitudes in Matthew. We have, first of all, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's a good description of Jacob. But also, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We've seen Abraham be a peacemaker. He made peace with Lot. He took the initiative when strife came among their herdsmen to come to a a peaceful resolution. We saw that Isaac was a peacemaker, that when the Philistines began to pick on him and 
dispute over his wells with contention that he moved on and dug another well and another well until they came to make peace with him. He sought peace in the land. And so here also Jacob is a peacemaker as he seeks peace with his hostile brother Esau. We find several elements of this peace-seeking. First of all, that of courage. It took courage. Jacob uh, sought out Esau, which was, itself took some courage to do so. He was, and, and likewise, takes courage to, seek, to take the initiative to seek peace with those who are hostile to you. Then again, Jacob also did not hide himself from the back. When Esau approached with 400 men, a fearful thing, he didn't hide in the back, he didn't let his wives do the work for him, hoping to appease him that way, he put himself out in front that he might bring this to an end and, and save his household. Uh, men should not abdicate their responsibility, but to go out in front when the danger approaches and take the initiative to resolve the problem, all the more when it's their conflict that could bring harm upon the household. So Jacob demonstrated courage, as you should as well. Secondly, he demonstrated humility. Jacob came to Esau with great humility, expressed in his words, expressed in his, his gestures, his postures. It was both visible as well as audible. Uh, he showed humility. He did not come as a threat to Esau to put him on the defensive, but he came to be reconciled to him. To seek peace, you must lay aside pride and embrace humility. Jacob knew that God had given, uh, that God had promised to give him the preeminence over Esau. God had promised that Esau would bow down to Jacob, but Jacob here is bowing down to Esau. Uh, the time for the preeminence over Esau was not yet. Uh, for now, he would bow down before Esau and wait upon God's timing. The faith in God's promises should encourage us to humility and to patience uh, and not to pride. Notice also that Jacob did not berate Esau for seeking to kill him. You can imagine how this could have gone, right? Esau embraces him and, and Jacob is happy to see that, but then he wants to get an apology out of Esau. And he's like, well, all right, so you need to apologize to me for trying to kill me. You, you swore to kill me. So you need to apologize for that. And, you know, you could, and, then, and then Esau was like, well, you took away my thing, uh, my birthright. And he's like, well, you already gave it to me. Well, you tricked me with the letter. You could see how that could devolve, right? Well, the main point, he didn't want to kill him anymore. <laughs> the, 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 it had been resolved. And so he could overlook that quite easily now with the joy of being reconciled. It was enough that Esau no longer sought to kill him. Jacob did not dig up the past uh, and to break up what God had given him. He overlooked the offense. He was grateful to receive Esau's favor in the present. As Proverbs 19.11 says, It is your glory to overlook an offense. Jacob also demonstrated gratitude to God. Jacob sought peace with a spirit of gratitude to God. We find in verse 5 and verse 11 that Esau doesn't speak this way. Esau seems to be matured but not yet, but not converted necessarily. He doesn't speak of, of God, but Jacob speaks much of God. Jacob 
is grateful for receiving his children as a gracious gift of God and his possessions as a gracious gift of God. Those who are grateful to the grace of God will be more ready to seek peace with their brother with contentment and generosity. If these things have been freely given to you, not of your own deserving, but as a gift of God, that should make us more content with the great things that we already have and be more willing to be generous with them to others as God has freely given to us. Be willing to give to others as well. Give thanks to God for the blessing of children. They are graciously given to him, uh, given to, to us. Give thanks to God for the blessing of possessions, for the good things that you enjoy by his grace. Do you deserve these things? Do you, do you deserve the fruits of the earth? Do you deserve, uh, as Jacob says, I am not worthy of the least of the steadfast love that you have shown me. They are graciously given. And so Jacob is grateful to God, and therefore, fourthly, he shows contentment. In fact, both of them show contentment. Esau and Jacob both are able to be at peace since they were both content. What did they both say? I have enough. Do you have enough? Can you say that? I have enough? Or is it like James describes, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? Whence comes quarreling and fights among you, but your passions at war within you? Proverbs 28:25 says, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Those who have contentment within themselves are better able to have peace with others. So learn to value peace and love more than stuff. As Proverbs reminds us, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. Or better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. And Jacob was delighting in the favor of Esau, willing to part with this great gift of, of wealth so that he might have the favor of his brother. And that leads us to the fifth thing that he demonstrated, generosity. Generosity. Jacob sought peace with generosity. He prepared a large gift voluntarily, depriving himself of some of his wealth to seek the favor of his brother. His brother didn't ask for it. His brother even wanted to give it back. But he came up with this. Jacob insisted that Esau take it to be sure of Esau's favor. So you should be generous to others, especially when you're seeking peace with those who are hostile to you. Uh, do not return the evil that you don't like, but to overcome it by good. It's also kind of the flip side of contentment. Uh, the ability to be generous is a good sign that you are content. If you can't be generous, then you're probably not content. Uh, it's a good test for contentment. Now, sixthly, we find that Jacob prized peace as a gift of God. He prized peace as a gift of God. To see the favorable face of his brother Esau was like seeing the face of God. And so he, he valued it. He pursued it. It was a manifestation of the favor of God, an answer to prayer. Do you seek peace like that? Cherish and prize peace, especially peace with those who are close to you, to your natural 
brothers and sisters, to your relatives, as well as your spiritual brothers in Christ. It's good and a pleasant thing when brothers dwell in unity. And seventhly, Jacob pursued peace without compromise. Jacob earnestly went out of his way to seek peace with his brother, but he did not do so at the cost of compromise. When Esau wanted to bring him back to Seir, Jacob had to draw the line. God had told him to go to Canaan, not to the land of Edom. And so he greatly delighted in the favor of Esau, but he would not do everything that Esau requested. Of course, he rejected his brother's offer politely. He didn't say, oh, go away, you heathen. I'm not going to dwell with you. You know, this, it, he, he offered it, he rejected the offer politely. He wasn't rude about it. Perhaps you might say almost too politely uh, in, in the way it is, is this deceptive? Is this uh, something that Esau understood that he was politely rejecting his offer? Uh, there's a little ambiguity here. It seems to imply that Jacob would go to Seir, um, but, of course, he goes on to Canaan. We might touch on that here in a little bit. But uh, he drew the line nonetheless. Jacob would not follow Esau to Edom. He would still be true to the Lord his God. So pursue peace, but not at the cost of disobedience to God. Pursue peace and holiness. That's what Hebrews said, right? Strive for peace with all and for the holiness of without which no man may see the Lord. And so God's people seek peace and pursue it like Jacob did here in this passage. But all his striving could have been in vain if God had not answered his prayers. God gives peace to his people. This whole chapter is the complement to the previous chapter, that Jacob had strove with God in prayer for this blessing, and God fulfilled that prayer. God gives peace to his people. How does God give peace to his people? You might say, oh, I don't feel like I have a lot of peace. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But, but in what ways does God give peace to his people? Well, first of all, generally speaking, God hears their prayers and shows unmerited steadfast love and faithfulness, something we find demonstrated in this passage, whether that's peace or other things, other manifestations of this mercy and faithfulness. Jacob answered the prayer of Jacob, and in answer to that prayer, he delivered him from the hand of Esau. He had prevailed with God and obtained what he asked for. God hears your prayers for help in time of need. He invites you to call upon him for help in time of need, and he will show you his steadfast love and his faithfulness. For it endures forever, from generation to generation, it is the same. As Psalm 34 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Now God hears and helps his people not for any worth of their own, but only out of his grace and mercy through the mediation of Christ. As Jacob confessed himself that he was not worthy of any of these deeds, it is through God's grace and his covenant, a covenant sealed in Christ. That is how you may have peace with God the most important, most fundamental peace that we are given by God. So God, use your prayers uh, that are offered through faith, faith in Christ. 
But secondly, God, we might say God can make your enemies to be at peace with you. Just focus first on the possibility that God can make your enemies to be at peace with you, and we find that demonstrated in this passage. God is capable of doing this. God is powerful enough to make Laban and Esau cease from their hostility. He is able to turn the hearts of men. God is able to restrain the wicked. He can destroy them. He can restrain them. He can convert them. He restrained King Saul, though not by... uh, converting him, but by restraining him, pricking his conscience. He restrained another Saul, Saul of Tarsus, in a different way by converting him and appointing him as an apostle. But God is more powerful than your worst enemies. God can make your enemies come to peace, so you should rest in his hands confidently. Whatever happens is under his control that he is able to make your enemies to be at peace with you. But thirdly, we can also say that God generally, in time, pacifies the enemies of those whose ways please him. This is stated in Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's God's word. Genesis 33 is a great illustration of that proverb. We saw it earlier with Abraham and Isaac too, that their enemies sought peace with them. The Egyptians and the Philistines sought peace with them. The God brought that about by his grace, making their enemies to seek peace with them when their ways pleased the Lord. Now certainly we're also told that we will have tribulation in this world. That's also true. Proverbs 16, verse 7 does not deny that you will have enemies. In fact, you might say it implies that you will have enemies. Jacob certainly had much tribulation. He did not have an easy life. Uh, He had hostile enemies. But he also experienced in time the reality of Proverbs 16, 7. In God's timing, his enemies made peace with him. His ways of faith and obedience pleased the Lord. And the Lord made even Jacob's enemies to be at peace with him. And so this should be an encouragement to fearlessly follow the Lord, to endure in his ways, to trust in him. Fourthly, we might say that God will restrain the enemies of his church in such a way as to preserve his church. And he will do that without exception. There will always be a church on earth to worship the Lord. That he will not let his church be annihilated by its enemies. Remember that Jacob and his household weren't simply one family of believers out there, but this was the future of the church. God preserved his church by delivering them from danger. Certainly he had Isaac still and probably some faithful servants in his household, but this was the, the, the heirs of the covenants, a great deal of the church on the earth at that time. So likewise, God will always maintain his church on the earth. No matter how much the nations rage against it, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts, the God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He will not let his gospel or his worship or his people be wiped away by the wicked, but this truth shall rise invincible, his people shall remain 
from generation to generation, God will preserve them. Christ the King has been uh, seated at the Father's right hand, and He is a King who rules to restrain and conquer all His and our enemies, to preserve His church, and to extend His kingdom, in fact, so that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And lastly, we should say that God will ultimately bring perfect peace and rest to his people. God will ultimately bring perfect peace and rest to his people. God gives peace to his people. Christ will bring all his people to glory and to perfect peace. He will do so for your soul at death, so that you will no longer be engaged in the tribulations of this life, but shall be blessed and made perfect in holiness and to dwell with Christ, and that is good. He will also bring peace about for your whole person and establish peace across heaven and earth at his second coming, overcoming all enemies. Even the enemy of death itself shall be overthrown, and he will establish peace, peace in in heaven and earth, in the whole creation, uprooting that which would disturb it. And so we can say God brings peace to his people. So, when Jacob goes on his way, uh, he goes, in fact, to Succoth, and then to Shechem. I don't forget where in the notes I put this, so I'll just say it now. We, we do find later that uh, Esau and Jacob will meet again. Um, some commentators speculate perhaps he did individually go on to Seir and return to Canaan. We don't know that or not, but we do know that they met at the burial of their father Isaac, uh, which they wouldn't have done otherwise, because remember, I think if we look back at Esau's words, he said, when my father dies, then I will kill uh, Jacob. But instead, they're able to bury their father together in peace. Uh, And so Jacob will meet Esau in time. And then later on, it's described that Esau settled in Edom because there was not room in the land of Canaan for both Jacob and Esau. So whether or not Jacob deceived his brother in what he said, they will at least come to a common understanding of how one will live in Canaan and the other will live in Edom. Like I said, perhaps that was even implicitly understood in their conversation. But when Jacob came to Canaan, he built an altar. And the altar was for a public worship. He reaffirmed his name and he claimed God as his God, the God of Israel. And he held fast to his God as his God partial fulfillment of his vow. So when God blesses you, when he blesses your efforts to seek peace, when he delivers you from trouble, when he brings you out of the trial, do not prove ungrateful to him. God wants you to call upon him in the day of trouble, but then when he delivers you, for you to glorify him, not to then forget about him until the next trial comes about. That is why in in the vows we find in Scripture, they'll say, Deliver me, and I will give praise to you. Deliver me, and you shall be my God. Deliver me, and I will offer sacrifices upon your altar. Because they're committing themselves to stay faithful to God even when they have been delivered from their trials. To not prove ungrateful, but rather to give thanks to God for delivering them. And that is what you ought to do. To call upon Him in days of trouble and to call upon Him in days of prosperity to pay your vows, and to hold fast to him when the danger is past, to 
worship him publicly before men, as Jacob did in building this altar. Give thanks to the Lord in the great congregation. Confess before the world that the one and only true God, the triune God, the everlasting King, is your God. Hold fast to him and offer to him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. To him be the glory and the honor forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your love for us and for your preservation of us and sustaining us through the trials that you send for our good. We pray that you would sanctify our trials for our growth in grace, that you would also uh, deliver us from trouble, that you would uh, bring us to your everlasting kingdom in glory. We pray that you would grant us peace, your peace, peace with you most of all, uh, peace of mind and conscience, peace with our brother and sister in Christ, and even peace with our family members and co-workers and others who are close to us. We pray that you would bless our efforts to seek peace and to be peace with all. We pray that you would also keep us faithful to you, uh, to, uh, to unite our hearts to fear you with a whole heart, that we might hold fast to you both in times of trouble and days of prosperity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.